A very quick word before we start the show. There are two events coming up in October you should have on your calendar, Transition AI New York and Canary Live Bay Area. The market for artificial intelligence in the energy sector will likely surpass $13 billion in the next five years. The tech is moving fast, and Transition AI is the premier event charting how it will shape utilities, renewables and storage developers, energy traders, and EV charging integrators. There's 50 plus use cases, depending on how you define a use case. There's hundreds of vendors in this space with AI embedded in their products. It's worth billions. Transition AI New York is a one-day conference and workshop in Manhattan on October 19th. It's going to feature top experts from Microsoft, GE Digital, AES, National Grid, Oracle, and a range of founders, executives, and academics who are building AI strategies right now. Plus, we'll present a detailed market map of the industry, and our podcast listeners get 10% off. Go to the link in the show notes or go to transition-ai.com. Get your ticket for Transition AI New York and use the code PSPODS10 on checkout. And we'll see you October 19th. You know, there's a lot of work ahead of us, but I think it's there. The technology is there. And for all you Bay Area listeners, our partners at Canary Media are putting together a live event on October 3rd. It's at Freight and Salvage in Berkeley. It's going to feature a roster of top journalists and experts handpicked by the Canary Media editorial team. They're going to dive into all things energy transition, investments, Inflation Reduction Act implementation, and tech innovation. We recently played a uh, very popular conversation between futurist Ramez Nam and journalist David Roberts that was recorded from Canary Live Seattle. And if you like that and you like to network and uh, you're in the Bay Area, get your tickets for Canary Live Bay Area. Again, it's on October 3rd in Berkeley. We have a link in the show notes and uh, those Canary Live events tend to sell out. So go get your ticket now. And now on to the episode. From the studios of Postscript Media, and Canary Media. Jan Matiasen is a director with the Carbon Trust. He's been working to grow the wind industry for nearly two decades. And for the last 10 years, Jan has focused his attention on offshore wind. So I moved over from onshore wind to offshore wind. Uh, initially, I'm, I studied engineering. So the, the technical challenges around offshore wind uh, really excited me. Jan lives in London. And in that city, there's this tourist landmark on the River Thames called the London Eye. At 443 feet tall and a diameter of 394 feet, it's Europe's biggest Ferris wheel. In 1998, when the London Eye was first built, it would have dwarfed the biggest wind turbines. Today, it couldn't compete with an average run-of-the-mill land-based machine. The diameters of, of uh, wind turbines are now well above uh, the, the diameter of uh, the London Eye. And if you stand in front of it, it puts things into perspective. An offshore wind is a dramatically different scale. The biggest offshore machines in development are over 850 feet tall. Forget a Ferris wheel that competes with London's tallest buildings. The, the scale of this is just enormous. And when you're building skyscraper-sized turbines in the middle of the ocean, the logistics and development costs increase with that complexity. It's quite a big uh, difference. Obviously, you know, offshore it's more complex. You're building them very far out at sea. They need to withstand very harsh uh, conditions. You know, if you're out there and it's windy and the vessel is moving and you really feel the environment is totally different than, you know, being in a van driving onto the field and, and get out of the van and, and climb up the turbine. In offshore wind, risks are magnified. Technical risk and financial risk. 
In 2021, offshore wind developers built 21,000 megawatts of capacity, but installations are down, and that's because the financial picture has worsened over the last two years, thanks largely to inflation. The, the offshore wind market, uh, I think, remains still strong. However, uh, investments in offshore wind um, have declined, and 2022 actually saw a, a record low in, in financial investment decisions. In the last few months, three major projects in Europe and America have been delayed or canceled thanks to rapidly rising costs. Those projects make up more than 10% of current offshore wind capacity already installed in the EU and U.S. And Bloomberg says another 9.7 gigawatts are at risk in America as developers look to renegotiate contracts. And this um, inflation is mainly due to, to commodity prices affecting various aspects of the project, um, development cost, um, turbines, balance of plants, and so on. And um, yeah, I think this is sort of the challenges that, that we face in, in the industry in the moment. Offshore wind is supposed to play an increasingly large role in American and European climate goals over the next decade. But inflation is challenging those plans in the short term. So developers need to um, be creative to, to get through this, and uh, we certainly need also government support. This is The Carbon Copy. I'm Stephen Lacey. This week, offshore wind is taking a hit. We'll talk with Jan Matiasen about the financial challenges in the industry and whether they will encourage more technical innovation to bring costs down. I want to take a brief moment to talk about the new season of the Big Switch podcast. We've been working on this for the last six months. We're so excited to bring it to you. Our production team at Latitude Media has been working for years with Dr. Melissa Lott and the team at Columbia University Center on Global Energy Policy uh, to make the Big Switch. It's a narrative show about how to rebuild our energy systems. And we are back with a five-part series exploring the supply chains behind lithium-ion batteries and the very complicated economic and political forces that come as batteries take over the world. So in this season, we break batteries apart, go to mining operations, manufacturing facilities, recycling plants, and talk to some of the most prominent experts about the pitfalls and promise of our expanding battery-based energy economy. And you'll hear the trailer a bit later in the show. So if this sounds like something you want to listen to, find The Big Switch anywhere you get your podcasts. President Biden wants 30 gigawatts of offshore wind farms installed by 2030, but that goal is looking increasingly unlikely. This summer, two key projects off the coast of Massachusetts and Rhode Island were derailed because of soaring development costs. I think it's, it's important to acknowledge that potentially missing energy targets and walking away from projects um, can have a significant impact, in particular in the U.S., where a market has struggled actually to gain momentum. It's also a problem in Europe, where member states want to double offshore wind capacity by 2030. Many projects are still going forward, but the European utility Vattenfall just shut down construction of one of the biggest wind farms in the region, setting a 40% rise in costs. And it could mean that uh, delay in, in reaching renewable energy goals, uh, missing opportunities, maybe also in stimulating further jobs. So that is actually having some tangible effects on the industry. A perfect combination of policy support and maturing technology has come together, and this was supposed to be the moment for offshore wind. But financing is getting much trickier. 
Jan has been tracking the ups and downs of offshore wind for a decade, so I called him up to ask about where this inflation challenge might take the market. What can you tell me about where costs are increasing along the supply chain? The challenge is uh, we are looking at um, increased inflation, um, basically. Um, so that means cost increases, and we're looking at around 20%. And it's getting really, that is really cutting across not only offshore wind, but it's also, you know, impacting other sectors. Um, but it's really driven by a global commodity price increases. And that then has effects at uh, the capex cost. Uh, we're looking at the foundations, uh, turbines, blades, but then also vessels that um, need to be installing these structures, need to maintain these structures, grid connections, um, substation, cables. So all of these components are are more expensive. And then also you have increases in, in labor cost. Um, workers want um, yeah, basically higher wages and then financing costs as well. So in, on financing costs, we have seen interest rates rise in the U.S. very significantly, which has increased the cost of borrowing. How is it playing out in uh, the key offshore wind markets like Europe, the United States, and Asia? I would say it's it's very similar impacts, actually. So it's it's not that the U.S. is... Is very unique there. Um, obviously, this financing cost also has to do with with risk profiles, and um, you could say that um, you know because of some uncertainties, and as I mentioned earlier, um, the risk profile in in the US may be higher for certain projects that has an impact on on financing cost. Um, but in general, uh, there's a global um, impact on inflation, and and but then despite these challenges, the industry is still progressing and and making strides, uh, remaining committed to to develop offshore wind projects. So I think that's also important. And it's also important to to recognize that we need to maintain confidence in the offshore wind sector. And because of their unique technical requirements and logistics and financing requirements, these projects can take a long time to build, sometimes a decade or more. And that does make them pretty vulnerable to a lot of these changing economic winds more so than other renewables projects. So how does that make offshore wind potentially more vulnerable than, say, onshore wind? Yeah, offshore wind projects are generally more vulnerable to cost increases um, compared to, to onshore wind projects. And there are a number of reasons. So one, one big factor is that uh, the complexity. They are difficult to, to build, uh, construct. They need to withstand very harsh conditions, uh, very far offshore. Um, and so that, that uh, creates uh, challenges. Um, and then um, logistics and transportation, installation of these turbines can be more challenging. Um, it's more expensive than onshore turbines. Um, so getting out to sea and in harsh conditions, again, it's, it's more challenging. Um, and this also leads to, to then higher construction cost. And then finally, you have uh, uh, investment in infrastructure that is higher than you have on onshore wind. So you may require... Um, substations, um, offshore substations, onshore substations, cables connecting this all together. So this all has impacts uh, which makes offshore wind more complex, more risky, more expensive. But then on the other side, you can uh, generate electricity at much larger scale. So the turbines are much larger, more efficiency, um, you know, higher wind speeds offshore. And that means that actually the levelized cost of energy is actually lower than, um, for example, some onshore wind projects. And what kind of developers are the ones that are able to weather these challenges the most? Do they tend to be oil and gas companies? 
I think it's uh, not necessarily that uh, they, they they need to be oil and gas. It's a it's a mix, and normally they are large corporates. Um, they have big balance sheets. Um, some of them come from oil and gas. It's right, but you also have large players coming from the conventional power sector. Um, so I think it's um, it's a mix, but it is a, a playing field for the the big guys basically. So it's normally large large corporates that can actually. Uh, manage this complexity that we see in offshore wind, this, this risk and also driving this investment. I'm Dr. Melissa Watt, and I'm the host of The Big Switch, a show about how to rebuild our energy systems. Batteries are finding their way into everything, from cars and heavy equipment to the electric grid. But scaling up production to meet the demands of a net-zero economy is complicated, and it's contentious. If every country says we need to own the entire supply chain because we want all of those economic benefits, it's going to make the clean energy transition so much harder. In a new five-part series, we're digging into the global battery supply chain, from mining to manufacturing, and we're asking what gets mined, traded, and consumed on the road to decarbonization. If we think climate change is the existential threat facing our planet, we have to be having a broad conversation about where we want to get the minerals that build these products. Listen to The Big Switch from Columbia University's SEPA Center on Global Energy Policy, available on February 28th, wherever you get your podcasts. So if you could identify a key development trend or a technological trend that you think will accelerate the push for offshore wind beyond some of these economic challenges that you think are just going to progress projects, make them easier to develop or more efficient to develop or make the performance of projects better. What do you think is happening today that you think will make offshore wind projects better in the coming decade? I I think what we see is there's more clarity, there's more momentum in terms of the uh, yeah how, how, in the regulatory policy frameworks a lot of governments are creating clear um, targets clear visions around this we see uh, many more countries um, entering the markets are interested in this so we see the scale up that also creates problems uh, problems around supply chain skilled labor uh, grid connections and so on but in a way it's a positive um, for the for the industry um and then also we see scale. So projects are becoming bigger and we will see floating wind, floating offshore wind um, becoming commercially much more um, scaled, much larger uh, than we see in the moment. Um, and that will, um, we see further cost reduction, I'm sure, um, because of, of the scale and um, larger projects, larger turbines. Um, and um, yeah, and, and that again will reduce further the risk and will drive investment. Um, so it's a sort of a momentum that uh, I think will will you know increase uh, rather than decrease even in these challenging times. So where's the market going from here? It will obviously differ geographically uh, based on region, but generally, where do you think offshore wind is headed? Are these economic headwinds a short-term problem, or how long will they last? Yeah, it's difficult to. I'm not an economist, so <laughs> <laughs> if I would have a crystal ball, but it's difficult to say for for sure whether it's uh, you know it's a uh, it's a challenge that the offshore wind um, industry faces short term, or whether there's uh, will have actually deeper consequences for the market. Um, there are certain factors that suggest uh, the challenge may be 
longer lasting. The war in the Ukraine had a significant impact on the energy sector as a whole. And it's possible that will continue uh, to affect offshore wind developments um, for some time to come. And additionally, there has been concerns about availability of skilled labor. It's a big issue. Supply chain development um, is, uh, is under pressure. Um, that also contributes to ongoing challenges in the market. But ultimately, only time will tell how these factors will really play out. I think on a more positive note, offshore wind market is growing steadily and that will continue to grow despite the current challenges and, and yeah, that we see not only in offshore wind, but, but really globally in other industries as well. And uh, there are several factors that contribute to this continuous growth. There is a need to replace conventional power and that isn't changing. That is still a need that we need to to, to address and governments are looking into this. Um, and then also many companies are investing in offshore wind uh, projects. There's a lot of excitement around the potential of this, this market. Of course, there are challenges. There always will be challenges. I'm sure once we you know, go through this uh, economic challenge, there will be other challenges. But I think overall, offshore wind market outlook appears positive, at least in my, in my eyes. I know you're also focusing on broader maritime decarbonization. What other technologies and sectors does that encompass? Yeah, so that's right. We, we're also looking at uh, maritime decarbonization in general. So that looks at the shipping sector, for example. And, um, and there's also um, synergies between offshore wind and, and shipping. So hydrogen is, an, is something that um, the industry is looking at quite seriously. Um, with hydrogen, then you can create uh, shipping fuels like ammonia, for example. Um, and, um, and hydrogen is also a, a commodity that, that could be uh, generated by offshore wind, uh, wind farms. So no need to necessarily connect to the grid, but then have um, electrolyzers that drive the production of green hydrogen. So there, there are lots of opportunities, um, but also a lot of work that still needs to be done in this space. Yeah, how serious do you think many of those proposed projects are to, for mass hydrogen production through offshore wind? I think they're becoming more serious. So we have some proto, uh, prototype projects already. Um, there are a lot of studies. There's a lot of research going on. Um, there's a lot of interest in this. But there's also a lot of questions that still need to be answered. So we are still at the very early stages on this. Um, but uh, you know, looking at the potential, it's quite interesting. So hydrogen could be an energy vector that, that sort of cuts across and solves problem in, in a number of areas. Also, maritime I mentioned, but also, you know, if you look at large um, industrial processes like steel production, for example, um, hydrogen could play a key role there. But then um, you need to, the, the challenge is, is, quite, um, is quite considerable because you need to solve the production side, green hydrogen, electrolyzers, offshore wind is maybe a solution. You need to understand uh, the demand, um, so what is actually required. Uh, you need to convert vessels to um, use um, ammonia, for example, or other fuels. You need to change the uh, production process for steel, for example. Um, and then you need to connect both together. You need to create the infrastructure to actually transport the hydrogen from uh, its production side to the demand centers. And so, and you need to create all of this at the same time. So it is quite a challenging process where in offshore wind, in a way, we focused on the production side, you know, putting offshore wind turbines in the water, but there is a grid system, there's an electricity market that we can plug in. So from this perspective, offshore wind was an easy one. You know, um, uh, hydrogen will be more complex. We're a long way from the early turbines built out of tractor components in the 80s. <laughs> yes, definitely, definitely, yes. Jan, thank you so much. Oh, thank you very much for, for having me. It was a yeah, pleasure. 
That's it for the show. The Carbon Copy is a co-production of Postscript Media and Canary Media. Remember to check out the events coming up in October. We've got Transition AI on October 19th in Manhattan. And we've got Canary Live Bay Area on October 3rd in Berkeley. This episode was produced with uh, help from Dalvin Abouage. Sean Marquand is our engineer. Original music came from Echo Finch and Blue Dot Sessions. Postscript Media is supported by Prelude Ventures. Prelude partners with entrepreneurs to address climate change uh, across energy, food, ag, transportation, logistics, materials, manufacturing, advanced computing, and more. And they are focused on deep decarbonization. Uh, And we're focused on giving you the best information possible on the industry and the stories on what's happening in decarbonization. So give us a rating and review if you appreciate that. You can go to Apple or Spotify and hook us up and uh, send us your thoughts on social media too. I'm Stephen Lacey. This is the Carbon Copy. We'll catch you next time.